Good morning. It's amazing to see people live. Uh, it really is. And uh, it's so nice to be back here. It, uh, I first started attending, I think, nearly 25 years ago at its, this church's inception when you were at Victoria Royce, when it was North York Livingstone Church. And so to be here today, um, it's, it's always, I'm always honored to share a message. And thank you to Reverend Kim and Reverend Simon and Reverend Sujung and uh, Reverend Chung for um, inviting me uh, to preach and for Pastor Dave's guidance this past week. Uh, since January, I've been worshiping online with you. If you haven't noticed, I'm the one who's always constantly uh, sending those messages in. I apologize. I can't help myself. Um, but uh, since January and through the dark days of the pandemic, um, this church has really, um, really sustained my faith and really fed my soul through the prophetic words that, were, that are set up here and through the beautiful prayers of the elders, the music from the choir and the praise team, and um, those who work behind the scenes as well um, have provided uh, me a strong connection to this community. And so I'm, I'm so grateful uh, for, for all that this church has um, doing and being such a blessing in my life and in many others. Um, how about I begin with a prayer? May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be pleasing to you, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So all the way back in April, this past spring, I've decided to take on a pandemic project. I decided to uh, try to grow grass from seed um, on my front lawn, not the entire front lawn, but that you know little section of lawn that's in between the road and the sidewalk. It's owned by the city actually, but ever since I moved into our home about 14 years ago, that little stretch of lawn has always been such an eyesore to me. It's uh, look like, it looks like more of like a, a worn down soccer field with lots of like bare patches and divots. And um, it's whenever I mow the lawn, um, there's all this cloud of dust that comes up because most of it is, is dirt. And I'd have to take my glasses off and you know clean it from all the dust. Um, and in previous years, I've tried reseeding it. And it always works for a while. But by the end of the summer, I'm left with the lawn looking like it once did as a worn down soccer field. And I've spent a lot of time pondering why this is so, why the grass doesn't seem to want to grow. And I came up with a few possible reasons. It might be that the grass, um, it might be because of the maple tree. There's a big Norway maple that stands in the middle of it and the branches go out and blocks the sun. So the grass might not be getting enough sun. Um, another reason could be that the grass or soil is contaminated. You know, in the wintertime, the streets, a lot of Road salt is used, and the snow gets pushed up onto the, to the side there, and it melts. It might be contaminating the soil. But I think I've come up with the reason, the real reason why the grass doesn't seem to want to grow. And it has to do with the high school students. It's always, <laughs> it's, it's always convenient to blame the teenagers, you know, <laughs> those soon-to-be adults who walk in packs and don't walk to the school on the sidewalk, but they walk on my grass for some reason. <laughs> so back in the spring with the high school still closed due to the pandemic, I decided it was the perfect time to grow grass. It was early in the season. I bought 40 bags of topsoil. The grass seed was on sale. 
I got fertilizer, and I made a vow to myself that this time I was going to wake up early and water the lawn every morning. So this was going to be the year when I'd finally transform my patchy lawn into a lush blanket of Kentucky bluegrass and be the envy of all my neighbors. The parable that we read this morning isn't a guide on how to grow grass. For that, we don't need Jesus. All we need are a few YouTube videos and, uh, or some books. But when it comes to growing our faith, we do need Jesus. And Jesus often taught faith about faith by using parables. Now, a parable is a story that's used to illustrate a lesson. And a parable is most effective when the story is about things that we can relate to. And that's why Jesus would often talk about farming or agriculture, because people back then often relied on the land to live. We're told in our story today that a very large crowd gathered around Jesus. It was so large that Jesus had to distance himself, create some space between himself and the crowd, so he gets into a boat and speaks while seated from the sea. And keep in mind, these were still the very early days of his ministry. The 12 disciples had just been called, and already Jesus was attracting great numbers. From the first chapter, Mark writes that Jesus' fame began to spread throughout the surrounding region of Galilee. Jesus first gets noticed when he visits a synagogue and commands a demon to, to uh, commands an unclean spirit to come out of a man, and people are amazed. From then on, Jesus can't go anywhere without attracting crowds, even when he's not out in public but eating at a quiet meal at his friend Simon's home. Mark's, Mark writes that the whole city was gathered outside the door. Just imagine how exciting it must have been for his disciples. They had a front row seat to watch all the crowds of people come to see Jesus. Up until this point, not much was asked of the disciples. They were mainly observers. But to be a person of faith, let alone a disciple of Jesus, requires something more than being a spectator. You can't just stand on the sidelines and watch passively and expect your faith to grow without getting into the game yourself. For something to grow and to keep growing requires participation. Today's parable begins, a sower went out to sow. The only participant in the story seems to be the sower. He's the one with the seed He's the key to the story because without him, the seed doesn't get sown. One of the things that caught my attention is that the sower doesn't seem to be very careful with the seed. Unlike me, who, when I spread the seed, I'll collect it off the sidewalk and put it back on the grass because I don't want to waste any. It doesn't say here that the seed was carefully planted. It says the seed fell. Some seed fell on the path. Other seed fell on rocky ground. Other seed fell among thorns, other seed fell into good soil. Maybe there was an abundance of seed, maybe it was on sale. So the sower lets some fall here and some there. There's no concern for saving the seed for another day. The sower's sole purpose seems to be spreading it wherever he goes. It's not until Jesus explains the parable do we see that the sower is not the only participant in the story. Jesus says, 
The sower sows the word. The word can mean Jesus' teachings or instructions or even Jesus himself. The word is wherever Jesus reveals God's love through word or deed. The word, and just like the seed that falls wherever the sower goes, the word is spread wherever Jesus goes. He doesn't turn anybody away or hold anything back. He offers himself, he offers the seed freely to everyone. But it turns out there are others aside from the parable who participate in the, um, who participate. The sower participates by giving, but for every giver, there needs to be a receiver. Those who receive in the parable are the hearers. The hearers are the other participants in the story. But there's a catch. While all the people, according to Jesus, hear the word, which is something he repeats four times, in only one instance does the word accomplish what it's set out to do. Hearing is a verb, an action word, but it's often thought of as something that's done passively. Sometimes when I'm on the phone talking to a friend, I can tell that they're not really paying attention too closely. They're talking with me, but they're also doing something else. It's called multitasking. They're checking an email or watching uh, something online. And I could tell because whenever I ask a question, there's a pause before they answer. To give our full attention to something, it's hard. Whether it's to a book or to our children, it's become harder over the years to give our undivided attention. And I, only think, and I think the pandemic has only made it worse. A few weeks ago, there was an article in the Globe and Mail. It was on a Saturday in the opinion section. And on the cover above the article was a picture of a phone, a hand holding a phone. And there was a text message. And it said, put it down, dot, dot, dot. And in capital letters, now. The author made the interesting observation that when it comes to alcohol, that there are norms or rules that govern people's behavior of like when or where and how much to drink. But with phone use, there are no similar norms. Our phones might be convenient and sometimes necessary, but they also come at a cost. The author of the, uh, the, author of the article argues, the cost of the phones can be measured in lost attention. And attention, which is our capacity to focus, is perhaps our scarcest commodity. He cites some interesting studies on the effects of phones. In one study, researchers, they prompted pairs of people with conversation topics and divided them into two groups. One group, researchers left a phone resting face down on a nearby desk. And the second group, the phones were completely absent. There was no phone. After their conversations, pairs in the phone present group reported uh, lower levels of empathy and trust than, the, than the, the ones in the phone absent group. The researchers concluded that the mere presence, the mere sight of a phone uh, inhibited the development, prevented the development of closeness and trust. In another study, subjects turned off their phones and placed them either on the desk or in their pockets or bags or in another room altogether. 
And they took a series of tests focused on reading and math and patterns. And performance was strongest with phones in the other room. Performance diminished with phones in the bags or the pockets. And performance was worse when the phone was left on the desk. The research concluded that your conscious mind isn't thinking about your phone, like consciously it's not thinking about the phone, but that process, that process of requiring yourself not to think of the phone, it uses up bandwidth, your limited brain energy. The funny thing is that 90% of the subjects thought the location of the phone had nothing to do with the results. Of course, phones are not all bad. When I was a kid, if there was GPS or phones or Google Maps, my road trips with my parents during summer vacation would have been a lot more pleasant. There would have been a lot less yelling as my dad drove and my poor mom had the thankless task of trying to navigate while using these unwieldy paper maps. But for all the conveniences phones provide by allowing us to stay connected, I'm not sure if they make us better people. In fact, a study found that the more deeply caregivers were absorbed in their phones, the more harshly they would react to their children when they sought their attention. In three of the four examples from the parable, people hear the word. The word gets sown in them, but it doesn't yield anything because their attention can't be held long enough to grow roots. When they hear the word, Distractions take the word away. When persecution comes, their focus turns to troubles. When the cares of the world arise, their attention turns to instant gratification. They're like the chaff that gets blown by the wind here and there. There's nothing rooting them to the ground of the eternal. But just Jesus knew in order for seeds of faith to have a chance to grow deep roots and one day bear fruit, it had to go beyond hearing. It required accepting. In the parable, Jesus says, and these are the ones sown on the good soil. They hear the word and they accept it and they bear fruit 30 and 60 and 100 fold. Notice that Jesus doesn't say they hear the word and bear fruit. He says they hear the word and accept it and bear fruit. To hear the word is passive. To hear and accept is active because it requires our participation. And we participate by the intentional act of directing our attention to what or to whom gives life. We believe that God's presence is with us, that God and Jesus gave their spirit to us that dwells within us, yet we can spend much of our day unaware of this presence. Why? Because much of the day, our attention is turned elsewhere. Early in the pandemic last year, I found myself deeply absorbed in the news, listening, but also reading my iPad and phone, always for updates. Uh, not only here, but overseas. I was inundated with news and I found myself feeling worse after a while. So I decided to put my phone away and my iPad in another room and only check it a couple times a day and that helped. And I also made another decision. 
the most difficult decision, something that I never thought I'd be able to do in my lifetime. I decided to cancel my cable subscription. That's right. It wasn't that hard. There were no Leafs or Raptors or Blue Jays on TV. It was all canceled. So I didn't have to, uh, instead of watching Leafs or Raptors or watching Bobby Flay on the Food Network or reading about the news on, uh, in the evenings, I found myself instead spending more time in the evenings to just be. It was weird. I just read. Sometimes I would pray or I'd meditate. Sometimes I had attended the Friday night Bible studies or the Tuesday uh, TBS group. But what surprised me was that over time, slowly, I felt less distracted, less restless. With no sports or news, all this bite-sized information coming at me, I grew more comfortable with silence and being still. My attention didn't wander as much. I felt like I could focus for longer times. And I started to look forward even to my evenings after dinner when the days would wind down and I can just rest in God. How I used to spend my evenings looking at a screen was passive. But spending the evening in the quiet of my own heart felt the opposite of passive. I felt like I was a participant. In a way, I felt like I was preparing the ground of my own heart to receive the gifts of God, like the good soil that's waiting for the seed. And I think this is what Jesus is trying to teach us through this parable. Like the sower who spreads the seed so generously and so extravagantly, the word that is God's love and presence is made available to us. This is what Jesus' death on the cross points to, that God and Jesus does not withhold anything but gives us everything. And the only question is, what are we doing to prepare ourselves to receive it? After I cut the cable cord, I, I, I admit I went through a bit of withdrawal. It was hard. But after I cut the cable cord I, and started to be more intentional about how I would spend the evenings, and where I would direct my limited attention, I remember praying to God a simple prayer. I asked God, during this time of the pandemic, no matter how long it lasts, I ask that you help me become more gentle. Gentle not only with others, but with myself. And the reason why I said this prayer was because I was feeling anything but gentle. I felt so irritable and impatient from all the news that was bombarding me. But this is what my heart desired, and by being intentional about creating space so I could pay attention and become aware of this divine spirit that lives within me, I trust that the fruit of my life will one day reveal the root of my faith. So getting back to my lawn. This past summer, I've had to reseed it three more times. I've purchased more soil, another 40 bags, this time not on sale. More seed, more fertilizer. I even bought burlap, you know, that mesh, and I covered the seed so the birds don't peck away at it. And as the end of the summer approaches and before the students return to school and no doubt walk on my lawn once again, I can see some results. I just cut it yesterday and I see lots of new grass growing, 
but I still see some bare spots, some bare patches, and I see some new divots where skunks or raccoons have been digging. And in the past, I throw up my hands and want to give up and say, forget it. But this time, I'm not going to let myself get discouraged because I've learned a valuable lesson when it comes to growing grass that I also think applies to faith. There's no such thing as a perfect lawn, and there's no such thing as a perfect faith. They all require work. There's always work to be done, and there's always room for growth. And this is good news, especially as it relates to faith. Because it's never too late to, par to participate like those who hear and accept. It's never the wrong season to work the soil of our hearts to make it good. It all begins when we start giving more and more of our attention. Minute by minute, hour by hour, more and more of our attention to what or to whom gives life. By opening wide, opening our hearts and becoming more, of a, and, more and more aware of the word that is quietly being sown and the fruit that is abundantly being grown, 30 and 60 and 100 fold. Thanks be to God. Amen.